Welcome to A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, a worldwide web event. Brought to you by Chevy, technologies that go from gas-friendly to gas-free. Sponsored in part by Post-it Flags, find what matters fast. Sponsored in part by Skype, bringing people closer with video calling. Welcome everybody to week number four of our New Earth Web class. Thank you again for joining us as we come together to study and to discuss our 61st book club selection, Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. I am just so happy that uh, so many of you around the world are making time. You're giving time to yourself every week to be awakened, and we're all doing this together. It is really my deepest hope that our collective consciousness will begin to create a powerful transformation, not only in our individual lives, but in the future of our planet. So welcome to you all and welcome, sir. Thank you. Yes. A good week for you? Yes, very good, thanks. Very good. So let's do what we've now started as a tradition. A moment of silence. Yes. And the question is where to put our attention. And this time I suggest we put our attention into the feeling of aliveness within what I call the inner body, to feel that there's actually life inside your hands. A good place to start is always with the hands, to feel, yes, I can feel somehow that there is an aliveness in here. The cells are alive. And that's the beginning of feeling, being able to feel the entire inner body, the energy field, as a global sense of aliveness. And just put our attention there rather than have it in the head. Mm -hmm. And then we can enter actual stillness because stillness doesn't happen until the mind becomes still. Usually the mind doesn't stop until you take attention away from it and put it somewhere else. So we are putting attention into the body. And so we can go into stillness just for half a minute or so. Let us begin here on chapter four, which is a very long chapter. Yes. When you wrote this, you must, you must have been at it for a while. Yes, and in a way it reflects all the main themes in the book that are actually already contained in that chapter. Yes. The chapter is called Role Playing, The Many Faces of the Eagle. So before we really begin, I'd like to take a moment and talk about one of the most frequently asked questions that we receive by far. So many people who are committed to, to the book and um, becoming aware of a new way of thinking, a new way, way of consciousness, want to know how they can relate to uh, people in their lives who are not yet on this path and uh, don't think they need to be. 
Sometimes it's a coworker or a friend or even a spouse, you all have said to us on many of your emails, and it can feel very divisive. And we got an email from a gentleman who says, listen, my wife isn't interested in this. I don't know what's gonna, gonna happen to our relationship. So that question actually came up uh, as one of the last questions from Qatar, the very first session that we had. But it's an ongoing question that a lot of people, the more they become engaged in the book, are, fe are feeling and, and wanted your response to. Yes. The main thing is that the shift uh, can only happen inside you. So not to expect other people to also change or to expect or say, I cannot change uh, unless somebody close to me also changes. The main thing is to take responsibility for your own state of consciousness and allow other people, especially people that you are close to, to be where they are, not to demand that because something is happening inside you and you are beginning to change, not to demand that others should also change. Change does not come about in others by trying to make them change, the most powerful way of bringing about change in others is not trying to bring about change in the other, but to completely accept the other as he or she is. So that's, that is absolutely vital. There, there are even schools of psychotherapy that recognize that. So you give the other person, you complete acceptance. And that part of this change that's happening in us is that we step out of the judgmental mind mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that continuously judges the other. So we step out of that, and if we step out of the judgmental mind, we are able to simply accept the, your partner, a close friend, a family member, a relative. This is where they are at right now. They are still going through their old behavior patterns. Mm -hmm. What has changed is you are no longer resisting their patterns and reacting to, and by reacting, reinforcing their patterns. That's right, that's right. So you are not taking part in that game anymore. So that's part of your change ha has to be your willingness not to judge, you know, to sit yes. back and to, to be an observer yes. in your own life and then to more clearly see the ego in others as you also see it in yourself. Yes. Don't judge it. No. And just, just know that that's what it is. Yes, and don't mistake what you're observing, the behavior that people manifest. As, not, as them. Not, that's not who they are. Hey, hey, hey. And that's a vital distinction because if you mistake that for who they are, then mm -hmm. you, you will perpetuate that kind of behavior. So that's not, it, it won't work. Acceptance is vital, acceptance. And isn't it sort of like, I mean, all of you who've asked that question, it's kind of like um, when people join the church or are, quote, born again, or, you know, we've heard about being born again in the church, or you find Jesus, or you find Buddha, or you discover a new way of being for yourself, and now you want everybody to go to Jesus. Yes. And you want everybody to believe what you believe. Yes. That is part of your ego, that now wants people to believe what you believe. Yes. And yes. so that's a trap one can fall into, even with this teaching, which isn't really based on belief at all, so it's not a new belief. We're mm -hmm. not trying to find some new belief. It's going beyond uh, beyond the, the thinking mind to, into awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. 
But there is always the danger when you discover something new that you want to talk you want about to share it with everybody. others. Well, that's how we ended up with this webcast, because yes. I wanted to share it with other and people. And sometimes it works, yeah. because sometimes the other person is totally ready and receptive right. and say, wow, I never realized that. Oh, yeah. But they recognize it from within because the readiness is there. Right. But the readiness is not there in everybody. So some people buy copies of the New Earth or the Power of Now for their friends or relatives and then give them out. And sometimes they are disappointed when the other person says, doesn't make sense to me doesn't at all. Doesn't make sense to me, yeah. It means they're not yet ready and that's fine. Maybe yeah. they put it on the shelf and maybe 10 years later they're ready. It's yeah. quite possible. Absolutely, absolutely. So now for class number, I wanted to get that question out because it comes up over and over and over again on our message board. So now we're ready for class number four. Tonight, we're going deeper into identifying the ego in all of its forms. Uh, chapter four, role playing and the many faces of our ego. Let me start by um, saying that I think the essence, it's a long chapter. Uh, so we have a lot to cover in a short period of time, these 90 minutes. But I think that the essence of this chapter is um, what you say on page 104, everybody, that you are a human being. What does that mean? Mastery of life is not a question of control, but of finding a balance between human and being. Mother, father, husband, wife, young, old, all roles that you play, the functions you fulfill, whatever you do, all that belongs to the human dimension. It has its place and needs to be honored, but in itself, it is not enough for a fulfilled, truly meaningful relationship or life. Human alone is never enough, no matter how hard you try or what you achieve. I just love that sentence. I loved it so much I wrote, wow. See, I wrote, wow. Human alone is never enough, no matter how hard you try or what you achieve. Then there is being. It is found in the still, alert presence of consciousness itself. The consciousness that you are. Human is form, being is formless. Human and being are not separate, but interwoven. Yeah. That's the essence, to me, of this chapter. Yes, and one could say the essence of the whole teaching, in a way. It's yes. a way of putting it. Uh, so, and of course, Human alone is never enough, no matter how hard you try or what you achieve. And that is the essence of why people are in such suffering and such struggle and such, you know, angst against themselves in life, is it not? And it's why they play roles, because the ego plays roles, because there's unawareness that within you there is the source of all power. So people who are out of touch with the power within or the place where all power resides, the aliveness itself, consciousness itself, then they feel a sense of lack. Why are they not in touch with it? Because they are not present. They are not in the present moment because the present moment is the entry point into that place of power within. If you're not present, mm -hmm. you don't realize that there is a source of power within, and then you believe that you need to get secondary power from someone or some situation or other people. Then you, the ego plays roles to manipulate the environment and other people to get what it thinks it needs, not realizing that all the things that it thinks will give it the power that it seems to lack, all that is already within you if you could only be present in the now. I got it. 
Okay, so the question is how not to lose ourselves in the human dimension, how not to, by being present in the now. Yes, and by realizing that whenever you lose yourself, realizing- In the human dimension. In the human- That's all the stuff that's be that, being hu that being human brings with it. Yes, the, on the most primordial level, losing oneself means losing oneself in that continuous stream of thinking that goes yeah. through people's heads. So you, it drags you along, it takes all your conscious attention Remember, we started today with taking attention away Wait, from mind and putting mind. it into the body. Right. Another thing you can do is take attention away from thinking and put it into sense perceptions and really look and listen and, and touch things. So like an alertness arises. You know what I found by doing this? I don't know about all the rest of you, but I have found by being more present, just doing that one exercise, putting yourself, if I'm walking along a path in the woods near my house, be there and not be, you know, in my head thinking yes. about what I need to do, just to be there. And what I found is, I don't know if you all are realizing this too, you are just less stressed. Less stressed. You're just less stressed, and you're you, calmer. Yes, and you don't carry the heavy burden of, of a personality or me with the burden of past and future, my problematic future, my problematic past. You're, you're much more, you're light and free when you walk in, in presence. Okay, but my, my hairdresser, Andre, asked me this this morning, so I'm gonna ask you, then how do you ever plan for anything if you're not thinking about the future? How do you ever get anything done? You plan in the present moment. When the time comes to plan, and the time is not when you're walking in the woods, and when you're walking in the woods, the time is to be present. Unless you wanna to go to the woods to plan. You could go to the woods you to could. plan? You could, yes, yeah. you could. But it's much more likely that your planning is going to be fruitful if it is preceded by a period of presence and stillness. All right. Any mind activity is much more likely to be beneficial and to be creative if it's preceded by presence and stillness. And then you apply the mind and say, okay, what do I have to do today? And then you make a list. So if you're going to be in, in the future, do that as a concentrated, event yes. or experience. Yes. Say, now I'm going to sit and plan. Yes, and don't, don't and Think then. Think about tomorrow. Once you've done that, then you know this is what I have to do so that you're not continuously in the next moment. You don't project yourself. You play mental movies about what you're going to say mm -hmm. when that situation arises. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can, you trust in life that whatever it is that you need when the future comes will be there. Uh-huh. So that's the, well, as far as practical matters are concerned, future is simply something that you use, like I call it a clock time. You make an appointment for tomorrow. Uh, and you, you deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. Yes, so you, you don't continuously project yourself away from the now right. to some future, believing that it's more going to be more important than the now. It's not. Because what you say on page 122, anybody who is one with what he or she does is building the new earth. Yes. That's how you do it. Being one with what you're doing means being total in what you do so that the main focus of your attention is not where you want to get to. You know where you want to get to. Right. But the main focus of your attention is on the actual doing now. So this is what the energy flows fully into this. The energy doesn't is not diverted from what you're doing now through 
mental dysfunction because you, you're wanting to get there, because then whatever you're doing will be stressful. Because whatever you give your 100% attention to is going to be better anyway. Yes. Absolutely. There was a Zen master, he was, uh, he was watching somebody um, in a competition, archery, and a man was trying very hard to win this competition, but he just couldn't make it. And then somebody asked the Zen master, what's he doing wrong? And the Zen master said, his need to win drains him of power. Wow. And so his need to win is some future, he wants to have some future moment where he's going to be fulfilled. Wow. So his attention is not totally in the now. So the now where all power resides, wow. this power that resides in the now cannot flow then into what you're doing. The openness isn't there. Yeah. Because to, to have mastery in any endeavor, whatever it is, you need to be total in what you do. That's what athletes know, the yes. great ones know. They, and then they, when they enter that, they call it the zone. Yeah, there was this great article this week, as a matter of fact, those of you saw it uh, on uh, Tiger Woods and USA Today, saying that he's perhaps the greatest athlete of all times because that's what he knows how to do, is to focus and be 100% present. Yes. It's just him and that ball. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yes. golf course. Yes. Okay, so another question. Um, that uh, was on the message boards a lot. Last week when Kadada uh, from California called and was saying, was on Skype, and she was saying that as a young person, she's thinking about the future and thinking about wanting to um, have a career and husband and so forth. Uh, I think a lot of people felt unsatisfied by your response. I've heard that, a lot of people were like, I feel the same way Kadada feels. A lot of people. Uh, are wondering where the passion goes, where the ambition goes, and how you ah, can relate passion okay. and ambition, which is what I think Kadada yes, was saying, yes, okay. with yes. with this this new awakening. Yes. So do we now just we're just all so awakened and that we become passive people? No, the passion is much greater when you are totally focused on what you're doing now. There will be far the passion will become stress. The more you're focused on where you want to get to, the more the passion will degenerate into stress. You may still have a high energy, but it's, there's a lot of negative energy that comes in. Mm -hmm. So if you want to remain truly in your power, then you need to be total, and that applies to the smallest thing that you do during the day. Right. Because even great endeavors consist of small steps, even the greatest thing. You are doing wonderful work, but every day that you spend consists of small steps. You arrive in the studio, you get right. dressed, you get ready, you speak one, one sentence at a time. It all consists of, and it, one needs to be present as you are, that's where the power comes from, every moment and not look to some future moment that promises some kind of greater fulfillment. That is the delusion. It does not mean that you don't have a plan. You can plan, You, I want to achieve, I want to build up a business, I mm -hmm. want to do this or that. Yeah. But the main focus must be in the doing. And if the main focus is in the doing now, that's the passion is there and the deep enjoyment is there and an intensity of energy. An intensity of energy. Now people often- Say that again, what the Zen master said, that his, uh, his desire his to desire win. His desire to win drains him of power. Desire to win drains him of his power. His need to win need drains to win. him of power. power. So the I'm writing that down. Being, being, yeah, that's the being present 
you just focused on whatever is necessary in that moment. In that moment. I'm sure that struck a lot of people, that, that Zen master quote. There. Yes. Because you're so, you got to win, you got to make it, you got to succeed, yes. you got to, got to, got to. And that's draining energy from you. Instead, we should be focused on this moment, this step, and then the next step, and then the next step. That's right. Okay. Now, you may win if you try very hard or very stressed. Occasionally, it happens that you do win, but it's not really worth it because you get more and more depleted. And after a while, you lose the, you lose the joy of life. Mm -hmm. if, you, if, if you spend five years of stress and finally you achieve what you wanted, is that worth it? Right. Enjoyment is very important. Am I losing? Am I, is, is there joy in what I'm doing? Is there an aliveness, an in, intensity? That's the question. Pe people believe sometimes high energy in our civilization. When there's high energy in what you do, often people believe uh, there must be stress. They cannot imagine high energy in what you do without stress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. because that's how we are conditioned, because yeah. we're always conditioned to look to the next thing. But there is a much more powerful state of high energy and intensity of energy. I was going to say where the energy is intense and focused. No, no yeah. stress at all. No stress at all. Yeah. Well, let's go to our new Earth study group watching our webcast at Borders on Michigan Avenue. Hello in Chicago. Hi, everybody. Hi, Hi again. Hello. All right, Shireen has a question. Hello, Shireen. Hi, Oprah. Hi, Eckhart. Hello. We're thrilled to be here. My question is for you, Eckhart. You say on page 126 that constant um, alertness is required to not let the ego take over. And I was wondering, do you, are you in a constant alertness yourself and do you ever struggle staying alert? I'm usually present in the now. The intensity varies according to the situation. If I'm just I'm sitting alone at home, there's just a background of stillness, and I'm, there may be thoughts arising, I may be doing this or that. So the, and then if a situation arises, the more uh, challenging the situation is, the stronger the sense of presence that arises. That's yeah. a, a strange thing. I realized that the first time when after this, I underwent this shift, um, I was actually in a cinema and I was watching a film. It was a Japanese film about the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw all these things, everything was going up in flames. And this is on the film? In the film. Okay. And I suddenly found, oh, I, but was becoming more and more peaceful and, and present inside, those intensity of aliveness, as if inside something was saying inside me, there is no death. There is, but that's an interpretation. Really, I, for the first time, I realized when things go wrong outside, presence intensifies. Oh. Everything is fine, there's just a background of presence. <laughs> um, and that's, that's wonderful, so because then, the challenges that come into your life, two things can happen when a challenging situation mm -hmm. or challenging person comes into your life. Either the challenge drags you into old conditioned ego reactions. Right. For example, an angry person provokes an angry reaction in you. So the, this means the other person or the situation drags you to their level of consciousness or unconsciousness. Mm -hmm. That's one way, that, one thing that can happen. The other possibility is that any challenge wakes you up more, so you become more intensely present when there's a challenging situation. And even, let's just look at a very simple situation. 
not really challenging, but for some people it is. You're sitting in a traffic jam, mm -hmm. it's not moving. You have to get somewhere, but it's not moving. So many people would go into negativity at that point. They get stressed, they get upset, the body gets tense. So that situation, then you react in the old way. And perhaps a few minutes ago, you were at home very still and present, and it felt good. And you were looking at the tree and the flowers. You get in the car, mm -hmm. and the moment the first challenge happens, it can drag you down into unconsciousness. Right. But there's another possibility. You can be uh, alert and, see, and recognize that situation as the first challenge of the day. And then you say, okay, here I can either go into reaction or I can go into more presence. And suddenly you're in the same situation, nothing is moving, mm -hmm. fumes, cars, and suddenly you become actually completely present in that situation. There's an exercise, Shireen, uh, in the workbook that we have for this chapter where we talk about being, um, there's two, the transparency, can you describe that? Becoming transparent. Yes, uh, when you react, when you react against a situation, whatever it is, something irritating, it could be somebody screaming, children screaming, an irritating noise, and immediate, when, some, when that happens, it's almost as if you were a wall and whatever the irritations were hitting this wall inside you, and, and it hurts because something inside you gets hit. <laughs> now, as a practice, what you can do is imagine yourself being transparent. So what before was hitting this wall inside you, and that was painful, that was the mm -hmm. resistance, that this shouldn't be happening, that's painful. Now, imagine yourself being transparent, and the irritating thing passes through you. You can do it, I mean, for example, one of the most irritating noises is perhaps a drill that goes, Yes. they break up the road. And so <laughs> practice with that become transparent to that, feel the noise passing through you. It's wonderful. And suddenly, in the very same situation that before would have provoked a negative reaction in you, you actually become more present and more peaceful. Right. So the very thing that would have made you react now puts, makes you more present. Makes you more present. Also, you talk about the deep lake, the deep lake effect. Would you describe that? Yes. So the lake, if you imagine a, a, a vast lake, the surface of the lake changes all the time according to the weather, according to the wind. Sometimes it's rough, sometimes it's very still. Mm -hmm. But even when it's rough, if you imagine you are the lake and whatever happens in your life, the external situations of your life are the surface of the lake. External situations change continuously. Sometimes it's rough, sometimes it's fine, it's very still. But no matter, even if they are rough, the surface, the, the depths of the lake remains always undisturbed and you are the full the lake in its depth so your external life is the surface of things surface reality your ego ego for the world of form and included in the surface reality is even all your thoughts all right the, because what we are talking about as the inner depth is deeper than your thoughts and your emotions. And your presence is the, is the bottom of the lake, is, yes. the, is the lake, is the yes. full lake. Yes, is and it's wonderful when you begin to realize that your inner state is no longer dependent on and determined by What's external... going on the surface. Yes. Got it. Got it. And that's, right, and that's incredible <laughs> freedom. That's true freedom. 
Yes. You, could, you can arrive at that place even if you were in a prison cell. And I've had letters from prison where people have written to me and said, we are free, I, have, I am free. I have found that place where my inner state is no longer dependent on what's happening outside. Of course, the prisoner would still prefer to be outside. On that level, fine. But That's right. deep down, there is freedom from external conditions. Because you are connected to the beingness of yourself. Yes. The consciousness of yourself. Yes. And you can use the word being, you can use the word consciousness, you can use the word, a lot of people use the word soul. Yes. Or inner being, yes. higher self. The word doesn't matter. No. The word doesn't matter. Thank you, Shireen, and everybody at Thank Borders. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you. Very alert. So let's, let's get into this chapter. You say that we can assume that the ego is at play whenever we feel superior or inferior to anyone else. Now, I, I know this is true. When you see the person who's the biggest jerk out there, you know, people who act with such a sense of superiority and arrogance, I know that that is because they are really feeling inferior. Yes. But still hard to deal with. Yes. But what surprised me is that you say that often people who are also shy um, are also acting out of their egos. And you say whenever you feel superior or inferior to anyone, that's the ego in you. Why is that? Well, if you're shy, then you're, you're, what, I, what you fear is to be found uh, wanting, but so you're not, you dare not. You say not the fear is that the attention may take the form of disapproval or criticism. Yes, you're yeah. afraid of that. So because you're afraid of that, whatever the disapproval or the criticism would represent an injury of your mentally mind-made sense of self, which is the ego. Mm -hmm. So it would, the image that I have of myself as a capable person or whatever it is that I'm trying to uphold if I, if I encounter criticism, the ego immediately will be hurt. And so a, a shy person would not dare say anything mm -hmm. because they're afraid of ego loss. You're afraid of ego loss. <laughs> Got it. And so, because sometimes that's mistaken for e an egoless person, a person who's very but meek. But it's not. And it's not. <laughs> and deep down inside the shy person, or a person who is suffering from this sense of inferiority, there's the desire the unexpressed desire to be superior. Wow. And inside the person who acts superior, who seems to have a big confident ego, there's always the hidden fear that he might be inferior. Uh -huh. And his whole acting out is to compensate for that hidden fear of being inferior. Okay, behind every positive self-concept is the hidden fear of not being good enough. Yes. Behind every negative self-concept is the hidden desire of being the greatest or better than others? Yes. And where does self-esteem fit into all of that? Where is real self-esteem? What would true self-esteem look like? Well, there, first there is the ego self-esteem, which right. is really, um, even if you have high ego self-esteem, as we've just seen, there's always hidden fear underneath it. It's always there to compensate for that fear that you feel of not being good enough, of perhaps failing. Mm -hmm. So you need to play a role of being big to compensate for the fear of failure that's deep down. So that's, but that's usually the world calls that, uh, he has, yes, the world would say he or she has high self-esteem, if people who have big egos, but the world doesn't realize that that's not true self-esteem. True self-esteem goes much deeper. It's finding the source of power and aliveness 
deep inside. We talked about the lake. Mm -hmm. Realizing that within the depths of your being, there is that continuous source of intense aliveness and power, which is the stillness out of which everything comes, the potential, the unexpressed potential for all form is there within every human being. You just have to become still. So true self-esteem is realizing that that sense of being, that presence is there. It comes out of the stillness. That it comes out of the stillness. And that presence in me is the same as the presence in all people. Yes. And when you recognize that and act from that space within yourself, that is when you have true self-esteem. That's true self-esteem. And self-esteem then is not no longer derived from the belief that you are better than somebody else. And so you are not attached to the labels or the roles that you play. Mm. And you speak about the many various roles that everybody has. Yes, and then you're no longer devastated by criticism or get very angry when you're criticized, as the ego does. Uh -huh. The ego is either totally devastated when you get, or it gets very angry when it gets criticized, the self-image. But you know, there's a role that most, you know, or most women in, in our society and all societies play is that role of mother, which yes. is a very, which is more than just a role. I mean, it's real. It's not yes. just a role. Yes. Yeah. It's, so the, the, we need to differentiate between the function that you need to fulfill in this world for a while. Right. So if you have a, a child, mother. your function is to be the mother and to fulfill the function of being the mother, which of course is looking after the child, mm -hmm. sometimes set limits, what the child is allowed to do and so on. That's all fine. Now, if you become too identified with your function, then the function turns into a role. And then you cannot let go of the role, and that gets stuck to you. And even when the child grows up, and especially teen, becomes a teenager, you still behave as if your child were small, and you still try to control and try to protect when it's no longer appropriate. I got it. Because you're stuck with the role then. Uh-huh. So sometimes the, when, when the children become adults, the adult children are still treated by their parents parents who are stuck in the role of parents. They can't let go of the role. Yes, so they, need, they believe unconsciously that they need to continue to protect and ultimately control yes. what the child does. Because you don't parent a child the same at every age. No. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they've lost sight of the function that they had as mother to be guide and to direct and to yes. correct and to help and to protect. And. Uh, right. Yes. And, and they want to carry that into the future yes. because they are attached to the role. Yes. Okay. And it's not only when the few, when this when children grow up, even when the children already are still small, right. if you are completely identified with this role of mother, then mm -hmm. also it can become obsessive. Mm -hmm. So you might become too controlling or overprotective. Mm -hmm. Certain functions become overemphasized. You go too far in fulfilling these functions. So, so what was good initially is looking after the child, protecting the child, can become too much. Okay. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Tonight, actress Jenny McCarthy is joining us. Ah. Oh. Yeah, via Skype. Hey, Hello. Jenny. Hi. How are you? Do you know I'm that when great. I was reading this book, Jenny, when I was reading my book, here it is, my book's all kind of torn up now, but <laughs> when I was reading this book on page 104, I wrote, uh, when I read, as you look at, listen to, touch, or help your child with this or that, you are alert, still completely present, not wanting anything other than 
that moment as it is. And this way you make room for being. In that moment, you're present. You're not a father or mother. You're the alertness, the stillness. You are the being behind the doing. I wrote Jenny McCarthy <laughs> because that reminded me so much of what you had said about your function as a mother. Yes, absolutely. You know, I read this book when it first came out, and that was one of my big wake-up calls. Um, realizing that when I was with Evan, all I needed to do was just be with Evan. And our relationship bloomed. Like, you wouldn't believe the love connection was there. He was getting fulfilled because he knew, even when Evan wasn't able to speak, this was when Evan still wasn't able to use words, energetically, he felt that I was with him, that I was being with him. And I'm so grateful, Eckhart, that you, that you taught me that. Yes. So did you have a question or did you? I do, yeah. I do have a question. Okay, it's long, so bear with me. It's not okay. that long, but bear with me. Um, one very common emotion that I have personally experienced and that I have seen in many mothers is this emotion called guilt. Mothers today experience a few different forms of guilt, and I'm going to explain three different versions where I'm sure mom's listening right now. One of them will say, that's my guilt. Yeah. Um, the first one is the nine to five working mom feels guilty for leaving her baby with the nanny all day. The second one is the stay at home mom feels guilty for getting bored playing with her, you know, her son or daughter all day long. I mean, sometimes you can only play choo-choo so long and you can't do it anymore and you feel <laughs> guilty for not wanting to do that. And the so third, the last one being, and this one I can really connect to, the thousands of mothers I've met who have children with autism carry a huge amount of guilt with them. It's hard for me to get out, sorry. <laughs> Take your time. Yeah. I haven't cried yet in one interview, <laughs> so I'm sorry. But um, a huge amount of guilt that it's in some way their fault, our fault, that our child became autistic. So my question is, can you offer some insight as to how we can look at things differently from a different perspective and how to alleviate this guilt that we carry as mothers? Nine to five guilt, choo-choo guilt, and feeling guilty because your child um, has autism or whatever your child has, and that you are somehow responsible. Thanks, Jenny. That was so well said. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, before I say anything, I uh, read your book. One is, was still in manuscript form. You gave it to me, and I was very impressed by what you did with your child, the courage that you had, where other people would have succumbed and fallen into negativity or self-pity. You were able to turn it all around and make it into something very positive, at the same time helping many other people, not helping your child, mm -hmm. but helping many other people. Now, Thank you, and you still feel guilty, of course, that's the structure. Even after all this wonderful work that you have done with your son, <laughs> it's amazing, <laughs> isn't it, that the, the, there are certain structures in the human mind that operate no matter how much good you do, they carry the structures, carry on playing themselves out, and they are, they are part of the, what I call, not the content of the ego, but the structure of the ego. So if you, nobody could have done a better job than you with your boy. In addition, 
helping many others writing mm -hmm. that book. And yet, you, you feel guilty. It's not that you feel guilty. There's a certain structure in their thought processes that produces the feeling of guilt. Mm -hmm. and, and the other two examples that you gave, there's the mother that is, has a job, nine to five, mm -hmm. the child is with a nanny, and the mother feels guilty about that, cannot accept that this is how it is, and the other mother is at home playing with the child. Choo-choo. Feels, <laughs> feels guilty about not, not doing more in uh -huh. the world. And so, whatever it is, if you don't tackle the, recognize the structure, in your mind for what it is, then you will always believe that the answer to solving this question lies in the realm of content. In other words, content is the situation. So if I change the situation, perhaps I won't feel guilty anymore. Then this would be, if you, if you think that the, this so-called pr problem, it's not a real problem, it's a mind-created problem, if you believe that this problem can be solved on an external level by changing something that you do, it will not, because no matter what situation you go into, the guilt will come back, because wow. in this world you are limited, you can't do, can't do everything. You either do this or you do that, but you cannot be both at home and at work at the same time. <laughs> so the, the mind, uh, no matter what situation you go into, will bring up the same structures. Mm -hmm. So unless you rec you're very alert and you recognize that these are egoic mind structures, nothing to do with content, then you realize that what the ego, one of the jobs of the ego is to blame others. Another job of the ego is, is to make yourself feel guilty. Both of these things strengthen your sense of identity. They are negative senses of identity. And the ego loves to have a strong sense of identity, and no sense of identity is stronger than a negative one, mm -hmm. where you condemn yourself for something. And, wow. and so, and you can see, from an ob objectively speaking, it, it doesn't make sense to, be, to feel guilty in your case and in many other people's cases. Yes, because if you have to work nine to five to provide for your child yes. and make you know, a safe home for your child yes. and food on the table for your child? You're doing the best you can. You're doing the best you can. And your mind doesn't, your mind works according to its old conditioning. So recognize when those thoughts come, recognize that these are not actual valid thoughts that are actually con concern a true situation. They are thoughts generated by the ego. And if you can recognize them, as thoughts generated by the ego, structural, not content-based, then the, in the moment of recognition, they begin to lose their power over you. Wow. And they, they will try to come in. It's not you can't do it just for once. They will try to come in the next day. Because you, Jenny, later. wrote that book. Obviously, I read the book, too, because you were here and shared the book you know, with our audience. You, you know, refused to take no for an answer. You fought for Evan. You did the best you knew how to do. And when you didn't know, you sought other answers to figure out the best to do. So there right. is a part of you, the part of you that is really you, right, Eckhart? Yes. Uh, that knows that. Yes. True? True, Jenny? True. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that little crazy said... talk in your head is just that. <laughs> crazy talk in your head. That's a good You're... expression. Yeah. That yeah. crazy talk in your head. Yeah. 
<laughs> it really, I just had a huge awakening moment when he said that within me. So I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a wow. That's a wow. Thanks, Jenny. Wow. Thank you both so much. Say hello to my palsy wowsy, Jim. I will. He sends his love. Yes. Yeah, he sent me you. flowers after he was on for uh, Horton Hears Who and said, I know, I, I made him. Oh, you made him. Okay. <laughs> his note said from your palsy wowsy. Okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot. Dion is calling now from Port of Spain, Trinidad. Dion, what's your question? Hi, Oprah. Hi, Eckert. Nice talking to you. Thanks nice talking for having to you. Me on. My question is, although I'm now aware of some of the rules that I've played, it's still really easy to slip back into them sometimes. And I'm at the stage where I recognize that I've been playing a role after the moment has passed. But I'd like to know how do I recognize it in the moment before it happens, especially in those unexpected moments? About playing a role, did you say? Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. So sometimes I'm aware, and I'm aware of a role, but I'm only aware after the moment has passed that I've slipped back into some of the roles that I've recognized. Okay. I'm just trying to figure out how do I stay in the moment and recognize the role before it happens so I don't slip back into, into the same role game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, yes. Well, this is a very common thing that happens to people as they uh, grow in awareness. At first, the awareness does not reach the many of the conditioned behavior patterns. The awareness at first, and this applies to many, many people, I've heard this so many times, people in whom the awareness begins to grow, this dimension that we call presence or awareness. At first, the awareness does not necessarily flow into all parts of their lives. There are certain behavior patterns that remain as they are, but the awareness comes in after they have happened. So in this case, in an interaction that you have with other people, you play a certain conditioned role mm -hmm. without knowing it. So you are the role. Yeah. When it's over and you go away from that situation, suddenly you realize, oh dear, I did it again. I, I played that again. role yeah. again, right. whatever the role is. Right. And that is how, it, how awareness at first comes in, in many cases, after the event and retrospectively, the presence or the awareness recognizes the old pattern after it's happened. And what then tends to happen, and I believe this is going to happen to you because I've seen it in so many people, the time gap between the event and the awareness gets shorter. Mm -hmm. So what then happens is the old pattern operates still, you play the role, and immediately afterwards, afterwards you, you realize, oh, I'm, I played it again. Okay. But there was virtually no time gap anymore. Immediately afterwards, you realize So that it. means you're awakening, yes. right? You get closer and closer, yeah. so the yeah. time gap is shorter and shorter. shorter. The next step, the next thing that happens is in the middle of playing a role, you suddenly realize, oh, I'm playing that role again. Mm -hmm. So the awareness right. has come in, you're still doing it, but then you know that you're doing it. An enormous difference. So you're not just playing the role, there is the other dimension comes in at the time of playing the role or whatever the behavior pattern may be, mm -hmm. and you realize I'm doing it again. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful too. And the next step is, it's amazing, it's the same pattern as I've observed in thousands of people. The next step is, just before you are about to enter into some condition pattern like role playing, the awareness is there and you can feel the impulse inside you of wanting to play, play the, the role. role. And, and you, you can then yourself. say, I don't need to play that anymore. I don't need anymore. to play the role. 
Well, let's clarify what we mean by role-playing. Thank you so much, Dion, from Port of Spain, Trinidad. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Let's All clarify right. what we mean right. by roles, because I think it's confusing to some people who say, well, listen, I am a doctor, I am a teacher, I am a lawyer, I am a store clerk, I am a that. Those are labels. And what is the difference between the job functions that we have and the so-called, and, and roles, you know? I and the roles that we play. I met a woman, uh, middle-aged, and she talked to me in a certain way. And I asked, are you a school teacher? Mm -hmm. And she said, now, how did you know that I'm a school teacher? Mm -hmm. She so did that? She was, because she had already, she talks to people as if she were talking to the children at school. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. and even when she said, how did you know? She was pointing her finger. Okay, okay. You naughty boy, how did you know that? Yes, yes. Of course, that's how I knew it, because she had become completely uh, identified with her function. Right. So the role took her over. She couldn't leave it. She couldn't leave her function behind after work. Even inside her family, she behaved like a teacher. You say when you adjust the way you interact based upon who you're talking to, you're playing a role. Yes, that also. So do we talk to everyone the same? No, most people, if they, but you need to have some uh, power of self-observation, which yeah. is another children, word for awareness. Children, we talk to children differently. Yes. You, friends differently than we do a head of state. Yes, or yeah. a so-called important person and a so-called not important the person. The janitor in a building different See than you how, speak to your boss. Yes, and uh, this is very interesting to observe in oneself. Yourself. Because yeah. you can need to observe it in yourself, otherwise you won't know that you're doing it. And you can only observe it in yourself if there's some awareness there that is yeah. outside of the role. And is this why when you go to a, a party or you're in an event uh, and you don't know people, uh, the first thing they want to know is, a friend of mine, Marlene, said to me, who, who is taking our class every week, hello, Marlene, um, that she was at a gathering recently and that she was trying to practice the principles of a new earth and that she was introducing herself around the table and she was doing that in such a way that she didn't talk about what she had done or accomplished or, you know, who she was married to or where she lived. And that, you know, one, one of the people at the table said, well, we don't care about who you are. We want to know what you do. <laughs> we, wanna, we want to know what do you do. And what I realized is people want to know that so they can determine your so-called value. Yes. And to see if you will be of value or... Yes, perhaps that... They, or necessary yes, perhaps. for them to play the role with you. Oh, yes, enhance their ego or whether you might be a threat to their ego, uh -huh. whether they can use you or whether they need to be afraid of you or whether they want to have further whether contact. Whether you fit in their circle. Fit in, yes. Yeah. And all these things. And then many judgments go through people's minds often when they meet somebody. and They're automatic. You observe... And that is what people mean by what do you do, really, yes. isn't it, for the most yes. part? They want to say, what do you do? Let me place it in, in terms of yes. how valuable yes. that's going to be to yes. me. Now, when you don't play roles anymore, you don't have to become strange. And then when you go to parties and somebody asks you, what do you do? You say, I, have I am. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am that I am. That is all that I am. This yeah. is the basic truth, but yeah. you don't need to say that when you go to a party. You don't? You can actually talk quite normally without being identified with what you say. So if people ask me... So, so, so that's the well, essence of what you're trying to say to yes. us in this chapter, is that, of course, there are all roles that we are assigned or labels 
that we use to identify ourselves. What you're saying is the problem is when you become completely identified with yes, it. Yes, yes. And you think that is who you are. Yes. And you, you behave and act as if that were who you are. So you get trapped inside that, that conditioned personality. And whatever you do, then this, the personality is acting out. You mentioned in the book where, where you play the role of patient. Yes. And if you go to a doctor who's playing the role of doctor, he often doesn't see you, the person, because yes. he's playing the role. Yes, he has become so identified with his function that the function has taken him over and he has become a role. So, and many patients can actually feel that when they go to a doctor, whether there's a human being still there mm -hmm. or whether the doctor has become a role. Absolutely. And so when the doctor has become a role, the, the, when you go to that doctor, you don't feel acknowledged anymore in your Absolutely. beingness. You feel he might be very competent as a doctor, I know. but something vital is lacking in the interaction when you see a doctor. He might be the greatest expert in his field. It still doesn't help. Yes. Something very vital is missing. And everybody... And you feel completely... That happened to me recently, where you feel completely dismissed and disconnected because he, you're, you're, you're thinking he's just trying to get me out of here so he can get the next person in. Yes. Yeah. Now, if he does that to you, you can imagine what he does that to a normal person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. usually people treat, treat, me, treat me pretty nice. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Dimitri Skyping yeah. us from Mo Moscow. Hello. Yes. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hello, Hello. 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 Hi. What time, is, what time is it there? I'm always curious. It's uh, about 5, p uh, 5 a.m. in the morning. Five in the morning. You're up early. Yeah. Well, thank yeah, you. Thank you. you for joining us. You have your question? Um... I'd like to first thank you very much for um, uh, your, your job. It's an uh, unprecedented event uh, when you spread consciousness all around the world. So thank you very much, Eckhart. Thank you very much, Oprah, thank uh, you. for selection and for being there. Thank you. And uh, my question is, uh, you know, I do uh, some movement exercises, very ancient ones, and uh, uh, they bring me to stillness. And so I experience stillness uh, when I do these movements. And uh, I lose it uh, when I come to my work. Uh, you know, I, I do some pauses, uh, uh, <coughs> breathings before I start my work. But uh, uh, when I'm provoked, I'm, I'm getting into the power games, especially when I'm criticized. So, um, can you recommend something in, in this? Thank you. Okay. Good. Yes. I like you. the way Dimitri breathed. Yes. It was yes. good. Yes. Yeah. It's so-called panoramic breath uh, when you uh, breathe in all surroundings. Yes. So what would you Beautiful. recommend? Well, this is you are able to access that dimension of presence when you are not disturbed by external situations, when you're not being challenged. The ego is inact inactive at those times. And when you go into ordinary work situations and so on, you begin to relate to people and immediately the ego with its old conditioning comes back and takes you over and you lose yourself in the roles you play and so on. So 
one, when do you know, do you, because we had a questioner earlier that talked about playing roles and becoming aware of the role playing afterwards, mm -hmm. after the event. Uh, do you become aware at the end of the day or do you become, do you become aware in individual instances after like a few minutes after it's happened at work? At what point does the awareness come in? It depends. If the situation is minor, uh, I'm aware, I guess, five minutes after or maybe into the situation. But uh, when I'm provoked deeply uh, or, for instance, when I'm deeply criticized by my boss, Hmm. Uh, I can be in this for for a week and only on weekend when I do the movements to change the tense body position uh, into the relaxed one, uh, I can manage to uh, understand, wow, yes, it was again. Yes. Another a very helpful thing you can do is not just confine your presence practice to those periods at home, but bring in small, very brief moments of presence into your everyday life. For example, I don't at know. At work, you at mean? At work. Mm -hmm. no, matter, no matter where you are, you may be sitting at a computer, talking on the phone or whatever it is. Let's, I'll give you two or three examples. The phone rings. It wants to be answered. Let it ring two more times than is necessary before you answer it. The phone rings. Normally, you would pick it pick up. Pick it up, yeah. Let it ring twice and be present while it rings. Allow it to ring, but be there in your presence. Use it as a signal to tell you, be present now. So okay. th that's one way of bringing a little bit of presence into an ordinary work situation. Mm -hmm. Or you're at a computer, put a flower next to your computer and occasionally <laughs> look away from the screen and look at the flower. It doesn't take long, just 20 seconds is fine, 30 seconds, look at the flower and feel its aliveness inside you. It helps you. To, uh, anything natural can bring you back into presence much more easily than things that are man-made. Uh, inner body, at work, when you are, uh, find a moment, turn away from your desk or whatever it is and, and feel the aliveness, do, do your breathing, but not the whole thing, just for a few seconds, one conscious breath in and out is a meditation. Mm. You don't have to wait, wait for your meditation until you get home. Bring the meditation into the spaces, into your daily life, as many spaces as possible. That's what, otherwise, the mind has such momentum, the egoic mind, that it will drag you along and you will lose yourself in it. Bringing in yes. small spaces. And Within your daily life. Daily life. Yeah. In addition to your panoramic breathing, Dimitri. Yes. That's beautiful. <laughs> and um, then you will find that in the midst of situations, right. the awareness is more likely to be there. Mm -hmm. And we've already, you may have listened to what I said to a previous questioner about becoming aware after after fall, falling back into old conditioned behaviors. And you will experience the same thing, especially if you practice bringing small, these spaces of awareness in, into, into your daily life. life. Then you will yeah. find that gradually presence will be strong enough even when your boss speaks to you and criticizes you. Even when he's you. on the third ring. <laughs> 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 So it's a gradual process where 
presence goes into, into every aspect of your life gradually. It permeates your everyday life because that's what is needed. Even if you were the greatest meditator and you could achieve sublime states twice a day at home when you meditate, it wouldn't help you if presence does not permeate every aspect of your life. Yes. And because otherwise you'll be like the, the father who was medit, he was doing a, a medit, in Buddhism they have a metta meditation, it's called meditating on loving kindness. So you sit there and say, I love all the people in this house, I love all the people in this city, I love all the people, or, or all the people, in, all, all the people, yes. all the people in this house be at peace, all the people in this city be at peace, all the people in this country be at peace. And then the daughter comes in and says, Dad, and the, <laughs> and the father says, leave me alone, can't you see I'm doing <laughs> loving kindness meditation? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dimitri. It's, it goes back to what you Thank were you. saying earlier. Can I sense my, what you said on page 79, this is in last week's chapter uh, on Core of Ego. Can I sense my essential beingness, the I am in the background of my life at all time? Yes. That's what you're saying to yes. him. To be more accurate, can I sense the I am that I am at this moment? Can I sense my essential identity as consciousness itself, even when even my when, boss is yes. yelling at me? And then, and then perhaps precisely in moments of greatest challenge, there's a greater intensity of presence. Because rather... those moments would be his most sacred moments, would yes. they not be? Yes. That's how you know. It's so it's when your greatest challenges become. Uh, instead of drawing you into unconscious reactions, when your greatest challenges intensify your presence, then that's, that's how it works. That's the miracle, and that's how the beauty of this work. Thank you again for Skyping us from Moscow. Thank you. Thank you very Dimitri. much. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, okay. I'd like to tell that uh, I'm very familiar with your voice because I have some recordings of your talks. So your voice already permeated me. And thank you very much for bringing presence into the life of this planet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I like you. all your books in the background there too, Dimitri. It's very nice. So I want to look at some of the email questions, uh, which uh, there's a question from Grace in Pleasanton, California, that says, since I've been an owner of a dog, I find myself so much more in the present. My question is, why am I naturally so much more <coughs> present with an animal than I'm sometimes dealing with people? Ah, uh -huh, yes. Well, the, um, the animal does not um, provoke thought activity because the dog is not thinking. When the dog looks at you, the dog is not thinking what kind of a person you are. The dog is not judging you. There's the dog is at a state of consciousness prior to the arrival of thought. Mm. So the dog is, and that state has certain similarities with, with the state of presence, which is the state of going beyond thinking where we mm. are going. Mm -hmm. In both cases, if you are... If you so in are, that way, the dogs are a little more enlightened than we are? In some ways, the dogs are more connected with being... With being, that's ...than we mean. are, than yeah. normal humans are. Normal humans are. And so... Because uh, that's where they are all the time. Yes, and I sometimes call them dogs and cats particularly because that's the, the well, pets that for millions of humans are very important in their lives. Right. I call them guardians of being. Because, Guardians of being. Because for many people, they fulfill that function. They, for many people who are so lost in their minds, so much involved in their thought processes, the only moments they have when they are not 
trapped in that is when they're relating to their animal, their pet. All right. You, I have to get to this quote. Oh, wait, well, I'll get to that in a moment. You say um, that the role of the parent should not be to spare children from all suffering. Why not? Because, no, first of all, you can't. It's, it would be futile to even attempt. Of course, you protect the child as much as you can. But every human being has to go through a certain amount of suffering. You cannot come into to this planet and avoid suffering. Because <laughs> that's what being a human being is. Yes. Is and that there is a ma there's some discord. Yes. Yes. And that is how we grow. If there were a human being that ha could have avoided all suffering, that human being would be totally superficial and totally identified with the external form of things, because it's suffering that drives you deeper, drives you within where you need to find. And by suffering, do you mean not getting what we want? Well, that's one form of suffering, okay. too. Uh, there are different forms of suffering. Many forms of suffering, of course, are generated by the ego mm -hmm. itself. These are ultimately unnecessary forms of suffering. Right. But they, don't, they, they are necessary for as long as you are unconscious. And another word for suffering would be challenges or difficulties, correct? Yes. yes. Uh, challenges. Um, so you are... can't be a human being without being challenged? No. Uh, that would be you would miss the whole purpose for being here. Okay. Uh, so you need to see even your children will not escape. They will sooner or later, and usually sooner than later, they will encounter their form of suffering, whatever it is. You protect them as much as you can, but when you see certain things are inevitable, they may do things, uh, unconscious behavior, they may generate their own suffering, self-generated, or it may happen to them from the outside. But no matter what, it will happen. And then, rather than uh, going into intense anguish, see, this is human suffering. And every human, you had to go through your forms of suffering. In my case, for example, I had my parents were, had very heavy pain bodies. There was constant conflict at home. And that was my constant suffering. And pain body, that's next week. Yes. Yes. We'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. No, finish the sentence. I just wanted to say so, this. So, um, this, of course, not only applies to children, it also applies to other people that may be close to you and going through their suffering. Uh, you do what you can to help them, what, whatever you can. The important thing is that you don't go into anguish yourself, because by going into anxiety and anguish yourself, you're not helping them at all. Okay. Because whatever state you are in transmits itself to others. How does playing a role at work uh, keep us from being uh, powerful? Well, if you play a role at work, you always have a secondary motive in what you do. Because the ego is at work, mm -hmm. you are not totally focused on the task at hand, because there is some self-interest there. You want to protect yourself, you want to get credit for yourself, you want to perhaps eliminate other people around you, mm -hmm. or perhaps you want to use other people for your own purposes. A lot of times this happens when people get promoted to supervisors. Yes. You know, they were really good in the, whatever position they had, and then they get pre present, pr promoted to supervisors, have a little more power, means yes. they're not just now functioning at work for themselves, but now they're over other people. And a little bit of power goes to their heads, 
and before you know it, that's absolutely trouble. right. And that's the, the ego. If, if you have a position of little power, then the ego is kind of there in potential. It's there, it's latent as far as your work situation is concerned. Right. The similar situation you have in certain third world, third world countries, uh -huh. where often you find uh, a revolution overthrows the government, and the people who initiate the revolution have the best intentions. They want, eventually, they want to do away with corruption. They want the best for their country. The moment they get into power, the latent ego in them, although they had good intentions, mm -hmm. comes up and they repeat the same dysfunction that, that they wanted to do away with. <laughs> Happens all the time. Yes. All right. Shali <clears throat> um, lives in Stockholm. Shali, uh, you were on earlier today. We Skyped yeah. on the Oprah Winfrey show earlier. Well, you've been up a long time. <laughs> I hear you have a question about raising your three-year-old daughter. Go ahead. Um, I do have a question about that. Uh, a lot of it, I guess, has been answered just by listening to tonight's show. But uh, the question about her is, how do you stay present when you're trying to discipline your child and she starts screaming and shouting? And she's only three, so I can't really explain to her that it's really your ego <laughs> that's coming uh -huh. out. And I feel like she's learning these roles. I guess my question is, you know, I want her, I want to raise her as a more conscious human being. You know, I don't want her to be awakened at the age of 35 like me. <laughs> so how do you, how do you raise a more conscious child? And how do you stay more conscious when you're dealing with conflict? Mm. Because I don't want to set a negative pattern for, you know, when she's 16 and she wants to borrow the car, for example. Yes, yes. <clears throat> um, I would suggest that you pay, first of all, pay more attention to your inner state than to what is happening to your daughter. Uh, because I believe you experience perhaps uh, your daughter causing you feelings of anxiety sometimes. Yeah, right on. You believe Absolutely. that? Uh, now, that, is a bit, that seems to be the case that your daughter, by going through certain kinds of behavior causes you feelings of anxiety, but ultimately that is not the case. You cause yourself the feelings of anxiety. When your daughter refuses to eat, she's not making you anxious. It, only you can do that. <laughs> so okay. it is vital what state of consciousness you are in, what emotional state you are in when you are relating to your daughter. Because if you're often in a state of anxiety, you get into a vicious circle. The anxiety that you believe were, was caused by your daughter's behavior, but is ultimately caused by your reaction to your daughter's behavior, that anxiety then will affect her. And that is a nervous energy field that will provoke further so-called bad behavior in her because uh, children absorb. I was going to say, a three-year-old is absorbing that and picking up that energy more than even your language. Yes. They're, they're picking up the energy that you carry. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. So your because first... Because that is their, their language. That's right. Yeah. And so your first yeah. realization needs to... Your first interest needs to be in any situation with your child okay, there's the external situation, there's what the child is doing or is not doing but should be doing, or screaming or whatever it is, or not eating, not wanting to go to bed, whatever children do. But your first interest needs to be, okay, 
what's my inner state right now? Am I accepting this moment, no matter what form it is? Am I saying that's, am I, what I suggest is the little mantra that I recommend is to ask yourself whether you can be there as the space for whatever your daughter does. Can I be the space for this? This is a general thing that many people will find helpful, no matter what situation you go into in life, at work, at home, wherever. The present moment, am I able to accept this moment as it is, or am I saying, this should be different, you should behave differently, but she's not behaving differently. She's behaving the way she's behaving right now. You need to accept that right now, She's screaming, if that's what she does. There it is. Can I be the space for that? And then you see her screaming. Another, this is related to the little exercise we had earlier, where you felt yourself becoming transparent to an irritating external situation, so that you don't have a reactive yeah. barrier inside you. That's hard to do, though, when your child is screaming, because yes. your immediate instinct, I would think, is to stop the child from screaming, yes. to resist the screaming, yes. to try to prevent more screaming. Yes. And so the resistance of that, the angst and the anxiety of that, creates more screaming. More screaming. Because if you could just be calm enough to allow your calmness to then calm the yes. child. That's easier said than done, though. Yes, it's, that's your spiritual practice. You yeah. don't need any other spiritual practice for the next... <laughs> for the next... <laughs> yes, for the next few years. Yeah. That is your main... It's far better than going to a monastery and meditate all day long. It's much more effective. Make that into your spiritual practice. And then you will see, as you go... You become more peaceful and yes. more accepting of the present moment, more being the space, then that will transmit itself to the child and affect the child. And if the child will absorb your emanation, your energetic vibrational frequency, and the change will happen in that way, rather than feeling that I need to change her. The change happens when you change. Yeah. That, that is to prevent her, but that is to not allow her to do things that are dangerous or to, no. you know, he's not saying that, but no. he's saying about adjusting the way you are being, capital B, with her. Yes. Capital B. Yes. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much. And thank you so much for doing this web seminar. I hope you do more. Well, thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you so you. much. Uh, it's a way of Thanks. being yes. present yes. for any situation. And what you were saying is we can apply it not just to children, but to all situations. Any situation. Uh, and it's usually the case, the, the most, in some, in some people's lives, they have a variety of little challenges. Right. But there's other people who have one predominant difficulty in right. their lives, right. whether it's another person, whether it's a health situation. Mm -hmm or whether it's a work situation or a financial problem. They have one huge challenge in their lives. And uh, usually one would consider the main, this huge challenge in your life as your greatest enemy almost, the greatest burden, or as Christians would call it, my cross. To bear. To bear. Yeah. Now this, it doesn't, this can actually be turned around and you can make that very thing that is considered 
your, your cross to bear. You can make that into your greatest help on the spiritual path. Right. Because it's precisely there that you can, if you can bring acceptance to that and be the space for that situation that is usually called, would usually be called bad by the mind, mm -hmm. but it is, you can't argue with that. This is the situation right now. Can I be the space for that? Then that situation takes you into surrender and into presence. So that, you know, so many people when they uh, were first talking about purchasing this book on the website, I saw a lot of messages from people saying, I hope this, you know, shows me my life purpose. I want to awaken to my life's purpose. And for a lot of people, uh, that per they want that to be something grand. They want it to be, you know, saving starving children in India and Africa. They want it to be some, you know, great description or something. But what you're saying is, is that if we are allow ourselves to be fully present with whatever our chosen function is in life and whatever difficulties might arise, that there is sacredness in the difficulty. Yes. If we allow it to be. Yes, and be fully present with whatever it, the situation is now. Yes. And then go from there. So because then your inner self changes when you're fully present with the situation, you're no longer putting up resi internal resistance to life. Even if there is that thing that you call, there's something uh, that you call background happiness, there's something that happened or needs to happen or someone who yes, did something. Yes, background unhappiness. Background unhappiness. Yes. There's something that happened or needs to, he refers to that on page 114, everybody. There's something that needs to happen in my life before I can be at peace. Something happened mm. in the past that should not have happened. Something is happening now that should not be happening. How do we um, make peace yes. with the background unhappiness of uh, our lives? Yes, so you recognize the background unhappiness as not uh, content-based, but as structural. It's the structure of the egoic mind to create that. We had the same when Jenny asked her question. Right. We had the similar thing. The guilt feelings that she had was part of the background structure of the ego. And no matter what situation, if you haven't tackled or recognized the, the structure of the ego in yourself as certain thought forms that repeat themselves, no matter what situation you go into, there will come up in some new form, but basically the same structure. <laughs> I got it. I got it. So the secret to happiness, you say, there's so many people were uh, writing about this on the web. Yes. Um, the secret to happiness, everybody, page 115. There are three words that convey the secret of the art of living, the secret of all success and happiness. One with life. Being one with life is being one with now, you say. You then realize that you don't live your life, but life lives you. Life is the dancer, and you are the dance. I have to tell you, I love this book, but I was like, gee, I thought life was the, was the dance, and I was the dancer. <laughs> and there are a lot of people on, on the web who are saying the same thing. Can you explain how life is the dancer? and we are the dance, why aren't we the dancer? We're the dancer. You are not separate from life, so whatever any 
Form. Life is a dancer. Life is dancing the dance of form, one could say. Every human being and everything, that's, everything that exists is part of the dance of life. Uh -huh. That which moves you, the very consciousness that animates your being, that, that animates every cell of your body, that produces thoughts too, uh -huh. the very consciousness that you are is the one universal, the one life. Okay. And that permeates everything. It's so the entire universe is permeated by that consciousness, by life, which is okay. another word for God. God. Uh, I don't see God as an entity that has, is in a particular place somewhere, uh -huh. but as the essence, the, the intelligence, the animating life essence behind all life forms. It's the eternal. The totality. Yes. It's the totality. You see God. You're saying that God is your idea of God is the totality of the essence of all life form. Yes, and ultimately, you are not separate from that. It's the egoic mind that says, my life. The moment you say, my life, you've already separated yourself from life. It's a thought. You have a thought to say, this is my life, and then you think, oh, I can lose my life. I am not separate from life because I am life. It's only through, through the structure of language that you create the illusion of separation. Mm -hmm. I see the that. The dog still knows on a primordial level, the animal, the tree knows that it is one with life. So it doesn't have this fear of death and it doesn't see itself as separate from the rest of the universe. So, so let me ask you the big question. You have no fear of death? No, no. The ego has dissolved, and so only the ego fears death. I know there is no death. You know there is no death. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me how. I have a little thing at the end of this chapter. I know, you say the uh, incontrovertible proof of immortality. I read that and I went, okay, well, I read that, I still... I've done a little thing I did there. Usually when people talk about immortality, they use certain arguments, perhaps from physics. They say the, the energy gets never is destroyed. Energy can only become transformed. That's right, transformed. So the vital energy that is your life, because energy cannot be destroyed, must survive in some form. That's often the argument for the survival of that life is there is no death, only the form right. dissolves. That's right. That's one way you can approach it. But right. what I thought I'd do, I'd look at the structure of this sentence of language that says, my life, or I have a life. Because most people believe that they have a life. Mm -hmm. And they also believe that they can lose their life. Now, <laughs> if you look at that sentence and you say, I can lose my life, then I am separate from life. So there is no such thing as my life, you say at the end of uh, this chapter, page 128. Because I am life. I am not separate from life. I am an expression of the one life, a temporary expression in this form of the one timeless and formless life. So I don't have a life because I am life, expressing itself as this form. Okay, so what happens when you, 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 you uh, two weeks ago, talked about your, your mother and father lying in the casket, and you realized that the life force or formlessness of the, that they were lying in the casket and there were these bodies, but they were not there. Yes. They were not there. 
So oh. we're not our bodies. We no. do know that. Yes. Everybody who's reading this book knows we're not our bodies. We do get that. Yes. And that's uh, once you can actually sense that, uh, on not just as a, it's not just a belief. You can also see that you're not your body, even if you just approach it logically and see that when there's a dead body, then the, the that being is not there anymore. There's mm -hmm. only the flesh and the bones. Right. And when the being isn't there anymore, the flesh and the bones very quickly dissolve. When the animating, the animating presence isn't there anymore, all this, the atoms and molecules separate right. and go their own way. Right. Because the animating presence is not there anymore. Okay, so continuing here. So there is no such thing as my life, and I don't have a life. life. I am life. life. I and life are one. It cannot be otherwise. So how could I lose my life? How can I lose something that I don't have in the first place? How can I lose something that I am? It is impossible. No, so no. what is happening here is I just got it. Hello, hello, yeah. hello. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> I got it. We are confusing um, the I am life force yes. with our bodies. Yes, yes. We're confusing that. Yes, that's right, that's right. So when this dies and becomes the shell and dissipates and the atoms go wherever they go, back into the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We are confusing that which is the physical form, yes. the human, we're confusing that with the being. Yes, that's yeah. right. And they are separate. Yes. So another way, if you don't like the word life, you can say the universe, people believe that I'm here and there's the rest of the universe. And they right. believe I have come into this universe. They don't right. know from where. Yeah. I've come into this universe. It would be more appropriate to feel that you have come out of this universe because you are this universe experiencing itself very briefly. As a human. As a human. As a human. I got that. And so it wants to do that. <laughs> I got that, I got that, I got that. It's got wonderful that. when you realize there's more to you than a person. You are the universe expressing, expressing, itself, exper as, expressing itself. Yes, and experiencing. As a human. As a human. And it, called it, Eckhart. Yes, for a little while. For a little while. And then it goes through other experiences. And then where do we go, Eckhart? Could you tell us that? Well, let's see what happens. What happens. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you, you take the fun out of it. You have to see, well, I mean, if you knew the rest of your life, already the fun would be taken out of it. Oh, OK. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, before we say goodbye, uh, I know there's lots we did not get to in this chapter. We could have spent, you know, two or three weeks on this one chapter. But um, what would you say is the essence of this chapter? The essence of this chapter yeah, is... Yeah, the role-playing chapter. What I said in the beginning, that we're humans and beings, and in this body, trying to, trying to live through the two. Yes, it's balancing the human and the being, so that you can be function in this world of form, where you have to do things and fulfill your function. Mm -hmm. At the same time, not lose yourself in that. Be rooted in the depth of being so that you're not lost in form. So there's a depth to you and a rootedness in that stillness, that aliveness. And then from there, you function out here. And there's always then a peace in the background. A 
peace in the background. No matter what's happening out there. And most particularly, not to be attached to, defined by the roles that we play in life and realize what they are, just roles. Yes. Yes. Yes, and relinquish the role when it's not required anymore. Mm -hmm. When your children grow up, you don't need to be mother or father, you don't need to play that role anymore. See, so many people think that that is who they are. And yes. so when their children grow up, they don't know who they are anymore. Yes, can be a crisis. Or, or people retire. That's and right. They had identified. And they were their job. Yes, and then who am I? Yeah, you were talking about in Japan, where it used to be you kept yeah. your job for life. Yes. And, and you were sharing with us the last time about a, a man who committed suicide. Well, there have been many cases of people in Japan who lost their jobs and committed suicide because they were so identified their company was their sense of self. Mm -hmm. Well, fascinating. I want to thank all of you around the world for making this, uh, this is a really a remarkable experience for making it possible. Eckhart and I will be here again next Monday at 8 p.m. Tell all your friends, share the book with them. If they say, I don't get it, that's okay. That's really okay. That's okay. They'll have the book and maybe pick it up a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now. This fourth class will be available on demand uh, starting tomorrow, uh, just like all the other classes for free here at Oprah.com. And if you want to download a podcast of any of our classes, you can also do that tomorrow at Oprah.com and at iTunes. Your homework assignment for this week is to update your workbook. Next week, it's the chapter many of you have been waiting for. Chapter five, the pain body. <laughs> the pain body. If you feel burdened by your past, uh, begin to learn how to lighten that load. That's going to be really very exciting. Now, many of you have been asking about our new Earth theme music. The song is called We Are One uh, Earth, and it was produced by Harpo Sounds, our in-house music label. Beginning tomorrow, it will be available uh, as a free download on iTunes and Oprah.com. So enjoy it, those of you who've asked us for us. This was fun. Great. This was fun. And so let's just wait to see what happens. <laughs> let's just wait to see what happens. Thank you so much. See you in class next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs> let's wait to see.